Hello and welcome to your favorite comic book YouTube channel, Cartoonist Kayfabe. My name is Jim Rugg. I'm Ed Piscor. Gonna look at a classic, classic, the god of comics today is gonna be the subject of our video. But I wanna remind everybody, if you're new to Cartoonist Kayfabe, first of all, welcome. And second, we are a daily comic book video channel here on YouTube. And we have been doing this for several years. We have probably 1,400 videos in our catalog. If you're new or if you're looking for your favorite book or cartoonist, Go to our YouTube homepage, hit the little uh, magnifying glass icon, and you can search by title, by name of creator, whatever your favorite is, we may have a video about that book or that person. If we don't, and you do a little bit of a search first, leave a comment below because we do keep a list of books that we need to look at. And uh, if enough of you comment on the same title, it moves up our list. So check it out, go through our archives. And if we're missing your favorite cartoonist, let us know about it so that we can uh, rectify that. We also have a Patreon where you can get access to our videos first. And at the King K. Faber level, you can actually sit in on our recording session where you really get access to the videos first. And that helps offset the kayfabe effect. If one of the books we're looking at, sometimes they're hard to find, they're out of print, they may have low print runs. If you're looking for those, you wanna be the first one in line because you get those copies that are still available and you get them before the prices go up. So check out our Patreon, see what level works for you and join us there. All right, Ed, today we are looking at The Art of Osama Tezuka, God of Manga, and uh, published by Abrams Comic Art. I feel like the more we look at these various art comic books, Abrams gets featured a lot. They have done a lot of good... The, the Lord's work when it comes to uh, beautiful comic reproductions and, and really sampling comics from all eras and all over the globe. I am impressed every time I pull out a new Abrams comic art book and grateful they that these hard. things exist. Yeah, they, they do. Hard. I, I think this was before Char Charlie Kochman is the top guy because I didn't see his name in the Indicia. Right. Yeah, all. I always look for him whenever I look through an Abrams book. He might have been at DC Comics at the time, but, but maybe like just barely, you know, but, they, but they've been making comics, like books about comics for so long. Like we're off camera, we're looking at this, uh, the Marvel Abrams book that, that was for the 50th anniversary of, Mar of Marvel in like 1991. And that's a, that's an Abrams book. So they they've been at it for a long time, and they they make they make beautiful books. The production is really nice. And Isn't that weird though? It, it is very weird. And there's like a library cover. You know, you can see the glare on screen, guys, of this like plastic cover. But underneath it is this cut out cardboard, like a very three dimensional element of Astro Boy here on the cover. Just a unique, unique, high end production for most of their books, and this is no exception. Yeah. And it's a big, oversized hardcover, bigger than your standard comic. And there's some stuff I really like about this book that we'll get into as we go through it. But it's it's Tezuka, and it's an overview of Tezuka. I mean, guys, put the eye drops in. You're not going to want to blink too much in this out in this episode. It's called the Art of Osama Tezuka, and I understand that title for sales purposes. Yeah. But if we were to be accurate, I would call this the Osama Tezuka Companion Book, and that title would not ring a bell, and that would not help sell it. But that's what it is. So this is not an art monograph. Uh, it's it'll show some stuff off, but it's kind of an overview of everything. It's a companion piece for all the books that you have. You know, if you want to know where human insects fits into his bibliography, like you're going to be able to read a little bit about human insects and what. I am glad you said human insects, Ed. Yeah. Because you're not going to be able to read about it. Oh, I don't think it's mentioned one? in here. I that that's one of my favorite Tezuka books. One we ought to look at, maybe. You know, it's kind of from his mature period. A really interesting book uh, for my money. A great read. Um, it's not mentioned, and it really speaks, I think, to his voluminous output that a work that I consider a, a substantial work of his uh, gets glossed over. I, I lingered here just for a minute because, one, there's a lot of great photography in this book. Um, catalog would be another possible word to describe what this is yeah. because it is this cool overview. 
Uh, but you see here, dedicated to Tezuka's two Freds, Fred Patton and Frederick L. Schott, um, author of Manga Manga, which I am also looking at off screen right now. Um, one of the great, great manga I don't know, entryways, uh, almost encyclopedias for us gaijin. And it's mentioned in here as being very important for kind of priming the pump for uh, manga in America. And to give everybody, if you're not familiar with Tezuka, uh, his stature, intro by Katsuhiro Tomo. I mean, when they say God of Manga, I don't know what you can say. You know, we think of Kirby as king of comics. This is the next step up, maybe. Yeah, there's somebody in here that's like, Say say that he's um, the Japanese Walt Disney, but he's the Japanese Walt Disney, Stan Lee, yes, uh, and you know Jack Kirby, like all all these names. Absolutely, that's the thing. Like he 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 introduces all new language for both comics and for animation in Japan. So his influence it almost can't be overstated. Yeah, com comics existed before him, and you can find some of that stuff. My Japanese publisher Press Pop puts out a couple of nice things. Every now and then, uh, this this was important. This was in man. I, I had this thing, and uh, you would get this at Suncoast Video. Like it was right there, back there by the anime section. Giant phone book might be six hundred pages because it would get revised all the time, uh, and it was just a great resource to like develop some education. Um. The, the Astro Boy essays, you know, do you have this? I don't. Okay, I think I actually have two copies, so I'll slide you one. Yeah, Frederick Schott. Mm -hmm. I, I would be very interested in checking this out. Uh, the author of this book is Helen McCarthy, and I mention that because it's London is where she's writing this this uh, notes on this book in the beginning, and I think it really points to Tezuka's influence. You know, mm -hmm. we talk about Schott in American, we talk about the influence even here in America of Tezuka. You see it now, an international, just an international artist that has really influenced all over the world for for generations like one, one of the people i was out in uh in uh tokyo with born in 1961 and remembered kimba the white lion on uhf channels stations when he was a kid so like tezuka was licensing that material for america even back then there's an interesting uh thing that runs through the text and it's this idea like it says here most of what's been written about him in english uh is by academics and this author, that strikes them as incongruous because of how much of a maker of popular entertainment he is. And this idea of, like, the entertainment value of Tezuka is something that kind of runs through the text of this book. And I think that's noteworthy, you know? Um, there's a lot of ways you can make great comics, and some of them are on the academic side, you know? They're, they're formal ideas. Tezuka did everything. Like, he did formal innovations, but he also was a huge, huge seller, as you say, to generations. Yeah. And that speaks to the entertainment quality. So it opens with, uh, you know, you get pictures of, of his young uh, history, his biography, and you get notes on that biography of how, where he was raised and he's growing a, up. He's a doctor. He went through medical school. He did. And still fucking made comics and stuff. I, this is worth going, keep going, like, for stuff like this. He yes. drew, this is nine years old. Uh, so these are the manga that existed. You know, he drew that. And if you, when you watch a documentary, see, let's let's not bury the lead. This thing comes packaged with an incredible documentary from 1986, 87 about Tezuka, about 40 minutes. Fantastic. I find it super inspiring. I show it to people all the time and they go either way. It's either inspiring or they are horrified. But he's like super athlete. Like he is David Goggins of, of comics. And we'll just put in that time. But here, go, go back real quick. In the documentary, this is a flip book. So he drew this. And, oh, yeah, right. And and you could, like, so it's on every page and it has them fanning each other and doing, so he's doing animation and stuff as a kid. 
Yeah, and his timeline's really interesting. Like, this is 1937, he's nine at that point. And I say that because he basically emerges and starts being published right after World War II, uh, which is a time of kind of, for Japan, almost like redoing culture, pop culture, entertainment culture. Yeah. And really, you know, he's there from the beginning of that rebirth. Right when they, uh, you know, capitalism is instituted... And he gets to benefit from that and becomes one of the, you know, the most po- popular artists, like the most uh, successful. So iconic, his glasses, you yeah. know, like even the self-portrait from from uh, junior high school, you know, it's unmistakably and, him. And look at that junior high school in December 41. So like the war is going on. He, he, he's lucky. He's like a little too young to go off. They show these off in uh, in the documentary as well, where he does these these beautiful bug illustrations yeah talks about uh, in the text here gathering these samples that he was making these books from that's phenomenal like the observation it's it's unbelievable that somebody did this let alone like a kid yeah amazing craft and and like you can see stuff is being done because like when you do butterflies you have to be symmetrical as well as size yeah so interested in, in drawing his whole life, uh, you know, you mentioned that he goes to medical school, but he is also doing comics at the same time. Yeah, and he he's the trajectory of like of like a Kirby, where he's there for for everything. He touches every kind of genre. So so he did daily strips, and these are for from his own kind of scrapbooks that mm-hmm. he kind of clipped out as just uh, resources. This is his first piece of merchandise that right. came, that came from uh, his work. One of his first works, New Treasure Island. Yeah, that's real famous. More than four hundred thousand copies sold. Yeah, and that may um, it may have started as like a, like the rental manga because he he was there for that also. And then you see him here in his medical studies. That's the stuff that you just can't understand how 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 that's possible. Amazing, like the medical notebooks where he's doing his notes and stuff on medical. You see like medical illustrations. He's a ham at the theater. It's incredible, like, going through what he was doing while at medical school. It's like three or four people, you know, output. And that's going to be his whole career. It is. Which I think is the part you're alluding to, Ed, in the uh, documentary that people go one of two ways. I, I, I snapped photos, and it's a very popular image that I po- post and repost where I took four images. And he's like, I hate drawing. I agonize over drawing. This is hopeless. And then the last image that I snap is him like cracking his fingers. And he says, I have to do 32 pages by tomorrow. You know, like, so the juxtaposition of, of all of that is just, it's, it's funny. You know, he's drawing on the train. He's, it, it's a different time. So like you could uh, wait up to the minute to, to like get to your gate. You could be in your car and stuff. There was no security, uh, which also back in those days, there was hijackings every two seconds. But uh, he would just be in his car drawing comics and then there would be a timekeeper who would run back and say okay you got like five minutes to board and then he would board board the plane like every second he, he's going to like Angoulême or something and so he's mingling and then he runs back up to his room to like work on some pages yeah it's it's really uh, remarkable and, and you'll get a sense of that as we continue through this book this video is brought to you by the books that we make My upcoming releases include 1986, a zine celebrating the biggest year in comics history, True Crime Funnies, BW Zine. My next release is Street Angel Princess of Poverty from Image Comics coming this November. Street Angel Deadliest Girl Alive and Hulk Grand Design are both available now wherever books are bought and sold. Ed Piscor's upcoming releases include Hip Hop Family Tree, The Omnibus, X-Men Grand Design Trilogy, reprinting all three of the X-Men Grand Design books. 
and Red Room, available in two trade paperbacks, as well as the current series Crypto Killers. And now back to the video. But it's set up this way where he has this almost like a Hollywood studio kind of system. They call it, you know, the star system and they describe it, but it's that some of these characters that he designs, they appear in different works of his. Yeah, you see this guy at everything. Yeah, it's it's very strange, you know? It's it's a way to, uh, you know, it's same face syndrome. So, like, uh, he doesn't have a million years to, like, keep designing new stuff. So The way this book is set up, you're going to see, like, these are his, his big stars. These are the superstars, right? Astro Boy, Black Jack. Uh, characters, a lot of them that have their own series. Yeah. So you get a little overview of these characters. Um, I do like how this book is set up. You know, I don't know, as you say, if art is the right word for it. It's but not. in terms of an overview or a catalog or an intro to his work, I think it's a really interesting model. Probably not one that would work for every artist because he is so prolific and has all of these characters. Phoenix, Phoenix one of his uh, great incomplete works that he would revisit throughout his life. What's really cool, too, like since this book has come out... There's been so many uh, Kickstarters for some of the more obscure works. Maybe even Unico has has like a uh, like a Kickstarter book, but like I, I've I've gotten three, four of these things, and they're mentioned in here, like the creator and stuff. You see this this format right here. Mm -hmm. Let me explain it to the people. Like you could still get the, these books out there in Tokyo at the Tezuka section in Mandarake, Nakano Broadway Mall. You walk in and you go catty corner to the left as far back as you can. There is an entire bookshelf of this exact format from the floor to as high as I can reach and like wider than both arms can reach. And that's that's, you know, this is the Kodansha like complete. Right. Uh, Tezuka's. It's that much work. You know, it's over 100,000 pages of, of material. Yeah, I think he's credited according to this as like 170,000 pages. Staggering. And by the way, Shitoro Ishinomori did more pages. Yeah, that's shocking. So here you see major stars. So maybe not uh, the name of the books, but characters that appeared quite a bit. Yeah. Ochanomizu, man, that's a, that's a town. I get off at that stop sometimes. But there's going to be, if we didn't pass them up, there's a Dr. Tenma. And... That is the name, there is, there is right there, Dr. Tenma. That is the name, I believe, of the uh, Naoki Arasawa doctor in um, Monster. So, Interesting. Uh, Arasawa did Pluto, which I think is going to be getting an anime pretty soon. I, I, I don't know if I'm breaking that news, but I know people out there. And uh, Naoki Arasawa did, did Pluto, and it was based off of you know, the strongest robot on, on, on the world mm -hmm. storyline from volume three of Astro Boy. So no, no, no slouch to crib in. Uh, this is fun stuff. too. This is him putting himself into work, you know, like, like the way directors will often make a cameo or something in a, in a movie, puts himself in several of these works. Yeah. He introduces most stuff. And like the Astro Boys started getting serialized in by Dark Horse in the little editions when I was still at the call center, but I was on my way out. So I was scooping those up from the start. And uh, after reading those, I started to put those little blackheads on, uh, you know, those pores on the nose of my characters. I never did it before, I, before that, but I thought that, that was such a smart approach. Here's a supporting cast. Don Dracula, Rock Holmes. Man, there's some good names. Rainbow Parakeet. Bukaki. <laughs> it's, it's interesting thinking of, like, you have this cast of characters as almost a time-saving mechanism. Right. 
Yeah, check this out, man. Because, like, that even looks like Fleischer era. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. He definitely pulls from animation. They talk about that he watched Bambi, like, 30 times, watched Pinocchio, like, 45 times. Yeah, it's something that we see with a lot of the, the manga artists from, like, mid-century, mid-20th century. I feel like a lot of them, and a lot of American artists, too, film fans. Yeah. And so you see certain influences being pulled from that kind of media. All right, so the next, here we are in chapter three, and the way these chapters are organized is by decade, which again kind of gives you this impression of like, wow, is this guy putting work out? In the 1940s, this is him becoming a doctor while also producing a staggering amount of work that we're going to cover here. There's some interesting uh, commentary about how some of this work is discovered, you know, like people yeah. doing research and finding things that they didn't even know existed. Um, several tri uh, strips that emerged whenever they started really digging into some some research and finding like more and more Tezuka from from the forties, from the early years. This stuff, there's no way for this stuff to remain in pristine condition. It is a humid island. Like in the summertime, it's fucking brutal in Japan. So there's moisture. There's foxing at best. And at worst, it's just mold and all kinds of decay on these pages. So, like, you'll see these. They're wall books in Broadway. And, and they could go for a million yen, dude. Yeah, I believe it. It's interesting, this early stuff, they talk about carved in metal and the way they would print these books. Right. Or often, to somebody would redo the drawing, would go over the drawings. Yeah. You know, in order to make these metal plates. And I find that really interesting because, like, we spend so much time being like, oh, what kind of pen did this guy use? Oh, he used a brush on this drawing. And it makes me wonder, like... There's, it's almost a de-emphasis on the finished quality, the finished, like, say, line quality. Right. Because somebody else's hand is making the lines in these early ones, so it's really just storytelling that, yeah. that you're tasked with. You know, writing a story, telling the story, but then the final details may be up to the guy who's reproducing this stuff. Totally. And he mentions that he was not very happy with, you know, the hand of these... Uh, Redraws a lot. ...artisanal guys, these craftsmen. The yeah, um, like his his first big work, New Treasure Island, the editor kind of chopped it up. Right. And he didn't do work for them for like 10 years as a result. Yeah, you, all that old stuff, they, they call them red books because it'll have that process red ink that has persisted to this day. You know, like we look at old Shonen Jumps or, or when you get the new volume of Fist of the North Star, like you'll have the pages where it's just that process red ink. And what this was back in the day was a function of just like the newspaper presses. And like the red ink was almost as ubiquitous as the black when, you know, they're not publishing um, color photos. So it's just like this this was a part of like the newspaper technology. This is a, a fun bit. It kind of talks about his impact. It says on one of these uh, on the Lost World cover, it said, this is not a comic, nor is it a novel. And it's the idea of almost creating a new you know, some new stuff in manga and in storytelling that really caught on with younger readers and then became that influence of like, okay, all manga is, is pulling from this. And a lot of it was cinematic influences. It's so funny how, how like, I have maybe, I might have 10,000 pages, maybe 20,000 pages of, of uh, Tezuka. I've got all the big stuff. I got Buddha. Um, not quite all the uh, Astro Boys. But there's still so much that, like, I just have never seen before. Yeah, and as we go through, you'll see a lot of these complete library covers, yeah. right, as you mentioned. Yeah, I just love the Disney-ishness of this with, like, that kind of, like, a Pistol Pete or whatever that guy's name, Peg Leg Pete type of build. Yeah, great with shapes, great with the cartooning. 
you know, simplification of these characters. You can almost see like the animator mind at work. Totally. It's been a big inspiration to me. There, Udon put out two books uh, of uh, his like character designs and stuff. And in the documentary, he talks about it. Like, uh, I can't draw circles any longer. Like, so many of my characters are based off of a circle, and, <laughs> and I can't do that any longer. Lost World, I think, Dark Horse did one of those um, small paperback versions. I think they did that. Maybe Metropolis. They did Metropolis. I have Metropolis. I, I That's the only one in, I have. In Next World. I think they might have done all of those. Those are like an early sci-fi trilogy yeah. that, that he did. And I think Dark Horse published those in that Astro Boy they did. paperback format. At least the, the Metropolis is that, that format. So that's cool. I'm going to scoop that one up before uh, this video goes live. <laughs> the inside. Yeah, everybody watching Insider at home right trading. now. Uh, <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah, the Metropolis has that cover. By the way, still in the 1940s. I feel like I've gone through about <laughs> 20 pages, uh, one work per page, and it still goes that far. And it's still kind of a pre-assistance yeah, you know, it is nice, like, the text that runs with this is biographical. It talks about his moving from place to place. It talks about what he's selling. Like, early on, and it might have been in the 40s, he becomes, uh, I don't makes the most money of any artist, basically, in Japan. Yeah. Uh, at a time when comics were not considered, certainly not high art. You know, they were very much kind of disregarded from an art standpoint in the early days here. And yet he's still outselling it. Here it is. In 1954, government tax returns showed he made about six thousand uh, dollars U.S. You know, like that's adjusted for for U.S. dollars, which would have put him the highest earning artist in the Kansai region. So, like, very quickly he becomes like the top artist in Japan. Not not comic book artist, artist. Right. Love this. This is a cross hatching guide to uh, help assistance. Yes. Comes comes into play a lot in like Buddha and stuff like that. You know, here's some more demonstration to assistance of how to depict various actions. It's a very unpretentious setup he has. Yes. Even even at when you see him like in that studio that he that he builds for himself, it's just it's a cheap apartment in Tokyo. You see girl talk as a subject matter because he does some shoujo comics. Oh, yeah. So doing a lot of variety of comics too, that's something that impresses me as we go through his body of work. As he, as he ages, it's almost like his interest in the stories that he wants to tell changes. As it should be. Yes. Yeah, I do think that there's a lot to learn from what he's emphasizing in his art. Absolutely. You know, we fetishize some mm -hmm. of the uh, some of the inking some of the line making the the amount of ink on the pages and and I don't think there's anything wrong with that but I also think like not the only way to make comics maybe not the best way to make comics certainly the um, more inefficient way yeah like if you could if you could, like what he is very skilled at is nailing an image fast in a compelling composition and stuff so you know if you can do that fucking do it but the, you have to inspire awe in the reader. So, like, if you don't have that part, maybe you work on it, and then you dazzle them with your crosshatch for, until you uh, work up to that point. This is a pretty interesting piece. Fossil Island, these three characters, including Tezuka as a character, yeah. end up on this island, and you can really see a contrast between a, a more rendered style versus that cartoony style in the same work. You know... It's like, pretty fun. That's like a, a pretty fun formal thing to see a guy of his stature playing with. I'm reading that Henry Darger book, and like he, he puts himself into Vivian Girls. See, this is Crime and Punishment. This is one of the uh, Kickstarter books that I scooped up. Oh, interesting. Yeah. It's amazing, those Kickstarters. I've gotten a couple of those, too. I didn't see Crime and Punishment, but it speaks to the range of stuff that he's thinking about and looking at. Right. 
Yeah, yeah. Like, and before we saw that, there was there was like a you know a, a Dante's like a Faust. Yes. Uh, uh, adaptation he did. You see Astro Boy here, probably the most famous of his creations. Uh, cartoons have spun out of this. Many, many series have spun out of this. Um, a character that, I mean, is still alive today. Uh, you know, outliving its creator in many ways. I love that you get to see, this is maybe some of the art of part, but getting to see some of the color pages that he assembled. Man, and the self-portraits that just proliferate, proliferate throughout this book, always fun to see him. He's about as iconic as his characters. I think that's a smart move. And uh, Tom has a theory about that that, oh, I, yeah? that I think is, is very uh, sound. Uh, and uh, his theory is that because of Tezuka's popularity and all that stuff, like if he was to leave the house without the beret and without the glasses, it might be Clark Kent. Like, like he, he could move amongst the, the yeah, people. Yeah. That's funny. I see a lot of like McLeod Zot. You yeah, know? yeah, totally. Because you imagine this would have been probably some of the early manga that that you would be able to get or you would be able to recognize, you know, even before it's translated. Yeah, like, he, he I'm sure he knew the anime. Uh, this is so cool. Because, like, he, yeah, this is, like, one of the more memorable pages. I think that's in volume one. But, like, uh, McLeod name-checked him and, and said on the channel, he's like, okay, man, like, we're, we're getting Area 51 and we're getting Kamui and we're getting My the Psychic Girl, but I want the Tezuka stuff. It's such a great panel. Whenever he's being like you know rejected by his creator, right? Yeah, I think uh, you know this is the, the that first first big story, so they put that in there in total. Princess Knight, one of the shoujo manga that he does early on, popular girl comic, probably his most. Phoenix, man, he's just banging his stuff out. Like this is the '50s, so maybe his first full decade as a as a mangaka and. The ideas that are coming out are hitting. So up to this point and, and, and beyond, he's living extremely humbly because he's saving his loot to build an animation studio. That's right. 1960 turns 32. Turns 32. <laughs> Newly married and building a family home. And part of that home included studios uh, for animation and for manga. Animation being something, I guess, from the beginning that he had in mind is a big, uh, a big goal. It makes really good, it makes good on it. Yeah, um, something they talk about is how successful that anim his animation style was to the point of like studios pop up using that model and it becomes very hard for him to find good help because there's so many outlets for it. The documentary is so fun too because you see him burning the candle at both ends, like doing the animation stuff. He's just supervising. Look at all the cells. That's so cool. But like. You know, he'll go to the room where, where the dudes are doing the animation and he'll flip through the cells and, and close one eye and, like, look at this stuff. And That's his animation studio. Yeah. Look at how many people are employed there. Yeah, man. That's a big operation. To think of that as, like, independent animation. Wow. Really overwhelming. You know, and, and here you go, like, some of the influence that that work has. Right. I don't think I see it, but Del Goldkey did a uh, adaptation in 1968. Right. Yeah, whenever uh, we've talked about some of like that early manga, and that's not exactly manga because it is the Western right, version, right. but at the same time, it's it's manga characters that are finding their way here. Yeah, it's really cool. Com magazine, you could you could see those. That's 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 his publication. There's talk here about how he evolves over time. You know, I mentioned before, like some of the stuff in the '70s being a more mature 
different approach to uh, manga. And, you know, it, it references this, like just his constant evolution. And I think anybody that has a career this long, that's going to be a trait of that person. You hope. I don't know if you can maintain it if you don't, you know, if you can't figure this out and stay kind of relevant. It's key works of the of the 60s here. It's just incredible because the other thing that I take away from this book is you look at these decades and there's no real fall off. It's not like you get to the 60s and go, okay, he's done. No, totally. And and uh, but but in Japanese audiences, like he inspired generations. So those people that were reading the comics in the 40s and the 50s, they still liked comics, but they were not looking for Kimba the White Lion Part Two mm-hmm. when they're 20, 30 years old. So that's when like. Seinen manga and Gekiga manga start to proliferate a little bit. So he has to make some of that now. Yeah. It's almost like he appreciates that that it's evolved to that place because now now he can express, you know, other ideas, not a guy with a plastic hand that pulls it off and has knives. Right. I like that the uh the way they describe the work is where it appeared. Right. How long. Like it's really nice as an art book. It's something I often complain about with comic art books that don't have that information. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's and a with, great reference resource. Yeah, and with the animations, it'll t- they'll tell you uh, how many episodes of each yep. like round of uh, Astro Boy uh, there was and stuff. The Crater is is um, that's a Kickstarter a, book. a manga series. Yeah, collection of short stories. Probably getting into that seventies era too of. Well, I guess that's 69 to 70 is whenever this, this ran, but it's short stories. And yeah. I think it's a chance for him to do stuff that's a little bit different. He would he would uh, always do, you know, one shots or that is a, a form of comics that they do. You could have your series, but, but they also commission one shots that are like, you know, 40, 50 pages. So he would have series run in, but I, I don't understand how he like figured out that he could fit that time in, but he would also do one shots. Yeah. It, it it is shocking and there's a sad bit towards the end whenever he's he's in the hospital he's dying of of stomach cancer, stomach cancer I, I believe yeah. it was and uh one of the last things he says is let me go back to work yeah yeah but please god let me get back to work i beg you yeah more of those complete tezuka library <sighs> you, i mean you could fill up a couple of suitcases with them shits man there, there it is <laughs> yeah we flagged this to show that young frederick shot <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. We have a shoot interview with Fred Schott, who who gives a bunch of uh, first first hand uh, stories about Tezuka, and this is Ward Kimball. He's one of the the nine old men uh, at Disney who worked on all those like classic old you know Snow. Well, he maybe he came after Snow White, but but he was part of all that stuff. You can find great documentaries about like you know the kids of the nine old men and stuff. And I think Kimball, like we're looking at trains. I think he um, had like a train built in in his backyard. Just like for the kids, eh? you know, he's a train buff. That's hilarious. And these guys made a couple of dollars, man. You see him. This is a Hollywood lot picture of Tezuka. So, you know, for a book like this, I don't know what you do. Like they do a good job on the overview, but there's so much detail that you could dive into. You need like twenty of these books. Totally. Like, like, like Art of Tezuka would be. Like I would take a much different approach, you know, and and it would be looking at the it would be looking at the gangas and and you know process pieces, those weird notebooks that are like in in grids and like let's just see a bunch of this. This is one of my favorites, man. Uh, is it Ayoko? Yeah, Ayoko. Yeah, I, who knows? But uh, Vertical put this out, I believe. Um, it is the most hardcore 
story that he ever made. It is an outlaw comic. You you do not feel good after you read this thing, man. Uh, and I can't believe it came from Tezuka's hand, but it is a captivating read. It might be nearly a thousand pages, uh, but you cannot put them down. You just need to figure out where the hell this thing is going. This girl witnesses a a family member, like my uncle or somebody, like kill somebody, and they're a family of prestige. And the the father and stuff, they, they can't get the gumption up to just kill this kid. So they just like stuff her in the, in the basement to live. And she just doesn't die. Like that's what they're hoping. They, they, they just want her to die. But she keeps getting slid food and bare subsistence and stuff like that. So she's down there with no real stimulation. You know, she's having her first periods and has no idea what the fuck that is. I think there's incest. I think she fucks her brother because she's starting to get horny. And they're like, hey, what do we do with this? I don't know. How about this? Uh, it's it's insane. Right. It's so hardcore. What a spread this is that Buddha is the one facing this. Right. You know, yeah. like, like these are two works that have been translated uh, in English to a to a big audience. Totally. Good reception. Because specifically, and you know, thankfully with the context, right? He describes that like the publisher wanted him, like his com magazine folded, and that's where that's where um, Phoenix would have been um, serialized, I guess. And this other publisher wanted to pick it up and wanted him to continue Phoenix. And for whatever magazine it was, it was maybe like a younger person mag. And he's just like, I, Phoenix isn't for this audience. So I'll give you an idea with the reincarnation themes, but like cater it more t- toward like a younger kind of audience. And, and that's where Buddha comes in. Eight, nine volumes of that. I think Barbara's been translated to English. Yeah, I don't know that one. Blackjack was, was a relatively early translation i forget who published it but i feel like blackjack shows up in the late 80s maybe early 90s here in the american shores and um it's great because it's a bunch of self-contained stories and they're almost like these adventure stories it got put in complete too by by uh, by vertical i believe maybe 17 volumes or so yeah it's been it's been done in some nice editions um i think there's even a couple of comic books which i always think about looking at yeah, uh, because it feels like that's kind of that neat little Especially easy the format, one yeah. Because it says you know two hundred and fifty two blackjack stories. So, um, but relates back to his training as a doctor. You right. know, blackjack being a medical doctor character who kind of operates outside of the black market. Uh, right, exactly. Surgeon, <laughs> which isn't far from uh, you know the monster comic. MW is another one that's been uh, reprinted here in America. Oh yeah, and they do fall under like that seventies era is definitely a different tone for a lot of this work. Yeah, in the documentary uh, that that is accompanied with this book um it gets into like like he he borrowed money from like the yakuza in the 70s like keep the studio afloat like in in like the late you know 60s 70s something like that and so he had the pressures of like paying back these like black market debts and stuff and he started doing these darker works that ended up i guess yielding money how about this? Throughout all his foreign travels, Tezuka was still accompanied by editors, as you said, Ed, waiting to send newly drawn comics pages back to Tokyo. Patton and Shop both saw him go to his hotel room after long days and convivial evenings and come downstairs in the morning with a stack of ink pages ready for finishing and lettering. There's a famous uh, Shigeru Mizuki comic where he talks about like the interactions with, that he had with Ishinomori and Tezuka. And... Uh, those guys would talk about how like little sleep they get and Mizuki would get 10 hours of sleep a night and, and uh, just questioning him about that stuff. And, you know, he, I think Mizuki get to live to be, maybe he's still even alive, but like, uh, he, I think he got to be like in his nineties and both of those guys barely hit 60. 
Yeah, it's interesting. You wonder if that lack of sleep contributes to creativity, like if your brain's kind of functioning a little bit different and it's almost like bursting with weirdness. I think there's no other way to explain the creation of a character like Modoc. If, uh, if, if, uh, you know, if Jack Kirby got proper sleep, I don't, I don't <laughs> know that he would have uh, created a character like that. That's funny. And here in the 80s, like, they, they talk about some of the experimental stuff he's doing, both animation and comics. And I don't know his animation at all. Mm -hmm. um, so it's kind of interesting to get a little bit of that perspective. Because I would assume that the animation and the comics do influence each other. You know, it's such a creative outlet. And there's a lot of, I think, crossover between the two. But whenever we get into him doing sculptures, now right. we're in a real different uh, different part of the brain. And it is the end of the era. This is where you get that the bit about his passing and stomach cancer and all the the dark stuff that comes with uh, lack of sleep and and here's our key works from the 80s rainbow parakeet like one of the great titles adolf is one of those i think relatively early tezuka books being translated here i remember whenever that came out yeah we and, showed and it some noise yeah we showed it in um a wizard from like 94 or so It's unbelievable how prolific he is his entire life. Yeah, you know, it's just it's just what he does, you know? It's it's like what else is he going to do? And you see a lot of these are TV specials and animation. Right. Like I said, man, it, it it'll it'll tell you like the amount of episodes that certain certain things are. In the documentary also, he um they show him at the at the apartment where he makes the comics. And it's a very humble small little rinky dink kind of place and he's, he'll spend like five or six days there and then they go to like the tezuka compound the house and uh the wife like has the umbrella and stuff and and it's this palatial estate and it's so beautiful and i almost get the sense that she's like happy to have the place to herself for like a, a chunk of the week because like even whenever they get together to uh go to angolem or wherever it is they're going like, they don't even sit next to each other in the car. It's a very weird dynamic. Hmm. Have you been to the museum? No, that's in uh, Osaka, I think, and I've never I've never been down there yet. But uh, we're going to see, if you keep going, like, there's a, a a mural on the street, and, and I've, I've happened upon that completely by accident uh, several times. There's an arcade in this weird, this right here, like, the train lets out not far away from this thing man so like i let out and then you just see that and and i knew this piece from this book but like i just happened upon it randomly and you're just like i'm where i'm supposed to be i should yeah. i should be here because also when you go to tokyo big site which is where Komitia is and kamiket and those kind of joints uh at the train station there when you get out there's another big ass tezuka um mural but like yeah like that that thing i just happened to upon uh totally randomly on the way to the arcade. Kimba totally cribbed by Disney. Yeah, you get into sort of legacy stuff here in this last uh, in this last chapter. It's a nice... I, I like this book a lot because of the biographical stuff. Mm -hmm. I feel like it really paints a picture of a guy's life. And, you know, if you didn't have that information, it would be what I would think of for a guy who's this prolific would be very different than what you get whenever you actually read the biographical side of it. Yeah, it's true. Like, there still have never been... Like, there's no Walter Isaacson comic biographer yet. Uh, maybe, you know... Everybody I know who, who, who uh, you know, deals with traffics in uh, these, like, comic cartoonist biographies and stuff, 
you always hear like publishers say that like oh you know so and so is getting better at stuff. There you never like oh the, this is the great comic biography or anything like that. There's still a fanboyish part of it. Um, I I do like to have an academic approach, but there's never been a great book yet. You get the best people who are available to like make this kind of stuff, but there's there's no Walter Isaacson yet who's made like the the important great comic biography. And if that wasn't enough for you, man, you got to go buy you an external DVD player if you don't got one to, to watch this thing. Or just go on YouTube. Uh, it's it's up there. I, I've uh, I've watched it a million times, man. And, and that's that's the uh, that's the test. That's the litmus test. Like, how deep are you into comics? Because if you find inspiration from that, then you might be you might be one of the real ones. You might be a Navy SEAL of cartoonists. But if not, maybe you just should be a penciler. <laughs> Good to go? Yes. Okay, favors like, follow, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Hit the bell so that we can notify you when new videos are available. We are a daily YouTube channel. And if you hit the magnifying glass on the front page of the Cartoonist Kayfabe channel, give that a search for your favorite titles. If we didn't talk about your favorite comics, make sure you put something in the comments so that we know. We have a Patreon. And the King Kayfabers on the Patreon can hang out with us while we, we record these videos. They knew that we were talking this Art of Tezuka book before anybody, and people in the chat are already saying, man, scooped it off of Amazon. A couple dozen people in there right at this very minute. Uh, best way to mitigate the kayfabe effect. Ultimately, the videos are brought to you by the books that we make, and the Hip Hop Family Tree Omnibus is coming to you this holiday season. Uh, your store needs to order it right now. Uh, it is now in, in, the, in the book for them to, uh, to scoop up. It's got 150 pages of extra material that is not in the first volume, the first uh, original books for Hip Hop Family Tree. It's a 10 year anniversary, so we had to do it upright. Uh, but your store needs to order it now. They also need to order the X-Men Grand Design Trilogy. It's gonna include all of my X-Men Grand Design works in one trade paperback edition. We don't have a comp copy of that to show off yet, but uh, that'll be out in November. I believe your stores can order it at this point. Red Room is what I'm working on now, two trade paperbacks of that anti-social network and trigger warnings but crypto killers is being disseminated at this very at this very moment maybe the fourth issue is already out but it's this third issue you got to make sure you <laughs> <laughs> it's this third issue you need to get your hands on because at the center spread i have a backup feature called latchkey kids with uh the characters that i'm going to be exploring in my daily comic strip that i'm putting out on my patreon right now but i'm going to start to serialize it january 1st 2024 jimmy let the people know about your books Street Angel, Princess of Poverty is my next release from Image Comics. This will be out in November. Pre-order this one now. Let Image know how many to print and make sure that you have your name on a copy before this one comes out. It collects all the Street Angel comics that are not in Deadliest Girl Alive. Also from Image Comics, together they will make a set of all the Street Angel comics that exist up to this date. Hulk Grand Design, this Treasury Edition, one of my books I'm most proud of making up to this point. Uh, I believe it's out of print, so pick this one up if your store still has a copy on the shelves. Uh, if not, grab them off Amazon, because once this is completely gone, it may be a long time before you're able to get another one, at least at cover price. Uh, True Crime Funnies, BW, and 1986 are my latest self-published efforts. Um, these are available digitally online. You can read them at patreon.com slash jimrug. You can get them from me in person, and coming probably in late October, I will be selling these uh, on my website. Not the only ways to support the channel. Let the people know, Jimmy. You can subscribe to the Cartoonist Kayfabe newsletter at the links below this video. You can also find Cartoonist Kayfabe t-shirts, merchandise, hats, mugs, stickers, and more at our spread shop. That link is in the show notes underneath this video.
All good ways to support the channel. Giving those marching orders, Jimmy, and we'll be on our way. Read more manga.